Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast for today. We're so blessed that you are joining us as we are going to launch into part two of a great interview we've been having with Christina Dent. Christina is the founder and president of an organization, a 501c3 called End It For Good. Christina is a politically conservative Christian who supported criminalizing drugs until she seen the up-close negative effects of what the current system was having as she was a foster parent for several children. And then she started researching why the drug-related harm was not decreasing. Well, she became convinced it was because the criminal justice system is simply the wrong tool to be used in addressing this war on drugs problem. And if you missed any of part one, you need to go back and listen to it all over again because we don't have time to recap everything that she shared yesterday, which was awesome. But today we're going to jump into a possible solution. And I want you to come at this with an open mind because what she's saying is spot on correct. All right, so let's jump back into the interview now with Christina Dent. Well, you also referenced what the nation of Portugal did in, in their war on drugs, but they went about winning their war in a very different way than we have in the United States, and they achieved a very different outcome. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Portugal, 20 years ago, um, in 2001, they just passed the 20th anniversary of this policy change. They had a huge heroin overdose crisis. Um, they had lots of their population was addicted to heroin. They were losing lots of people to overdoses. And they said, we have to do something different. And um, they commissioned a group to come back with whatever policy change they thought would address this crisis. And they basically agreed to it kind of ahead of time. What you tell us to do, if it's evidence-based, we'll do it. Uh, we have to address this. And so they came back and they said, what we need to do is um, stop arresting consumers of drugs, no matter what the drug is, like arresting people who are using drugs is not the right thing to do. Um, and instead, we need to put our resources into uh, evidence-based solutions for addiction. So what do we know about people who are struggling with addiction? How, what do we know about how they build a thriving life and exit that addiction? Well, we know that people need uh, purpose and meaning and community. And so they started with um, you know, housing opportunities for people, uh, job skills, and helping them find employment making um, uh, treatment for an addiction more accessible. So they, instead of saying, we're going to focus on the drug and try to rid Portugal of the drug or focusing on the consumer and saying, if we just arrest enough consumers, maybe we'll scare everyone else into not using drugs. That, that doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It can't work. Um, people don't make that decision based on, you know, is this or not, um, you know, do I know someone who's gotten arrested? They use drugs because they're they're making them feel better in some way. And maybe that is somebody who has experienced a significant amount of childhood trauma and has found that um, the uh, 
they can self-medicate those impacts mm-hmm. through substance use. We know that trauma is uh, one of the highest drivers of addiction. The more trauma you've experienced in your childhood, the higher your risk factor of addiction and the deeper the addiction um, is more likely to be. And so Portugal said, we're going to stop doing that. And we're going to focus on the reasons why people use drugs and what could help them actually exit those addictions. So um, the outcome was staggering. So they stopped arresting consumers. So if you're caught today in Portugal with heroin, you're not arrested for that. Um, They give you the opportunity to go to treatment if you want to. If it happens multiple times, you can get a, um, a financial fine for that. But they really have shifted away from a punitive approach and said, we're just going to try to help people build lives that they want to be fully present for. And what they found was um, their uh, injection drug use rate dropped in half over the next couple of years. Their addiction rate has dropped by a third over the 15 years after that. Um, And their drug related crime dropped, which makes sense because you have um, and you probably know this as a as a former police officer as well. The vast majority of all property crime, people stealing whatever from you is caused by people who are in active addiction, trying to get enough money to support that addiction. Um, Addictions to drugs on the street are very expensive. It's not because those drugs are expensive. Heroin is not expensive. It can be made for pennies. Um, But when you have the forces of prohibition and the risk of smuggling, uh, that adds, you have to pay a premium for it now. So you have expensive addictions and you have people trying to get money for those expensive addictions. Um, And so they saw a lot of their drug-related crime dropping prostitution as well, which again, as a believer, it just breaks my heart to see something like that happening. The vast majority of prostitution is women in active addiction who are trying to get enough money to, um, to feed that addiction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just looking at that and what Portugal has done by, they did not legalize their market there. And I would say that's where we get the most positive benefit because they still have the crime related to the underground market. Um, they still have the contamination problems in their substances because they're not regulated. They're still, people still buy them on the street, but even just addressing consumer harm, the harm of arresting people like Joanne and putting them in prison by not doing that anymore and addressing it as a complex health crisis rather than a criminal justice issue has given them significant positive impacts. You know, I just think, Robert, what if, so, so right now it's about one in three American families that have someone in their family who's addicted Portugal has seen a one third decrease in addiction since they did this. What would it even be like for America for us to see one out of every three families currently struggling with an addiction in their family to not experience that? That would I mean, what we would consider that like the policy win of the century. Um, (laughs) And 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 yet that's what Portugal has found. They're a small country, small scale. um, But. We, we know we've watched it happen for 20 years that it's possible to handle drug use as a health issue. And the outcomes are far, far better than they are um, from handling. Well, I, can, I can hear the voices now, but if we legalize drugs and everybody's going to be a drug addict, right? Uh, but if but you believe it's going to be different, what would this nation need to put in place if we took the approach that Portugal, Portugal did with their drug epidemic? Yeah. So Portugal is a little, is, is different. And it's always good to kind of clarify this because the way that they're, um, they have much more of kind of a socialized medicine 
uh, approach. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of a small government girl myself, so that's not really what I would want to see in the U.S. Um, but if, if we just looked at it from a current resources allocation standpoint, so we allocate lots of money to enforcing drug prohibition every year. And what if we just move some of that money over to making addiction um, treatment more accessible? Uh, what if we removed some of the barriers to accessing treatment? It's very difficult for people to access um, you know, addiction treatment through telemedicine. And some of the things that we can do that are part of technology and the, the good progress that we've made that that are still not part of how we allow people to access treatment. Um, there are things like that, that we could do just in shifting resources. I'm not one that wants to see, you know, people be taxed more. Um, but what if we just shifted the money that we're already allocating to this issue and we used it in a better way instead of enforcing and paying money for um, people to be incarcerated. It's very expensive to incarcerate somebody, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Mississippi, which is probably one of the cheapest States to incarcerate, um, you know, it's at least $20,000 a year to incarcerate someone. And that's just keeping them in a cell. That's not yeah. medical care or court fees or, I mean, it is incredibly expensive to put somebody through the criminal justice system. Um, and what if we use that money instead to say, hey, you know, how could we, how can we help you uh, build a life that you want to be fully present for? Um, so for me, it, it really was kind of this backing into this. Like I never wanted for legalization or decriminalization to be where I ended up. I thought, I don't want that. That's, that's, you know, it feels like I'm just going against my values somehow. But the more that I learned, the more I realized, you know, if my, if my North star is decreasing harm to people and I look at the root causes of where harm is coming from today, um, that's where I end up is, is ending these policies uh, and so I, I've come to see that there's, you know, we kind of have this idea that either you are for drug prohibition or you want people to use drugs. And that's just a, a false, yeah, that's a false comparison. There, there are, there's a definitely at least one more way, which is the way I'm walking, which is I don't want people using drugs, just like I don't want people committing adultery. I don't want them, you know, coveting. There's all sorts of things that I think are maybe um, immoral, maybe I think are wrong, maybe I think are just unhealthy. I think drug use is, you know, some drug use is certainly mm -hmm. going to fall into that category. Although certainly, you know, there's a lot of it's a lot of us that you know drink a glass of wine and and that's you know alcohol is a drug, but it's non problematic. Mm -hmm. But if we look at you know, there, we already have these different categories for um, behavior that we may not want to see or behavior even as believers that we may think is sinful, that we still don't criminalize. We don't we don't say everyone who commits adultery needs to go to prison for 15 years. We say, gosh, that's so harmful. But, you know, jail isn't going to fix that. It's just right. it's the wrong tool to address that issue. And that's kind of where I've come to with um, with drugs is, you know, as much as we have this um, very understandable emotional reaction against drug use and addiction. Um, you know, the criminal justice system is just the wrong tool if we want mm -hmm. to actually see better outcomes for this. And, and that's what I want to see. I want to see better outcomes for people like Joanne, for people like her son, Beckham, um, and just for people in the community who want to live in a world with less crime and fewer of their friends who are losing kids to yeah. overdose. Amen. And, um, fewer families who are destabilized. You know, if we if we think of it as kind of families are this core building block of healthy societies, 
And we're destabilizing millions of them every year mm, by yeah. removing a, a parent out of that home uh, and incarcerating them for, you know, a drug possession charge. Um, it's just not getting us the outcomes that that we want. Amen. Amen. You know, as I referenced in in the opening, you know, I was addicted to painkillers for several years. I didn't know it. Well, I knew I was relying heavily on them, but they were prescription based. And, and I was telling myself, well, I was simply following the doctor's instructions, you know, and long story short, you know, I was on four different kinds of pain meds and three of them were at the maximum amount allowed by the FDA. If they would have prescribed even one milligram more then it would have been labeled by the insurance company as experimental. You know, so the, you know, so they were giving me four different ones that, you know, I couldn't take them all at once. They told me, don't do that, but spread it out. Like every six, seven hours, take one. The problem was after I took the next pill, about 20 minutes later, I needed a nap, you know? And and then one day I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I want to add a disclaimer here. Uh, Some people have heard me have heard this before, but do not do this on your own. Okay. Seek help from your doctor. But Brother Bob didn't do that at the time. I simply quit all four cold turkey and uh, all at the same time. And I went through hell. I mean, it was severe withdrawals for about five days. I didn't sleep for four days. I just lay awake all night long, sweat through the, my wife had to do the laundry every morning because I just sweat through all the blankets and sheets. It it was bad. It it was, it was bad. But I had a doctor appointment already pre-scheduled like months before on the fifth day. And it was already scheduled when I made the decision I wasn't going to do this anymore. Usually, I'd be going in to renew my prescriptions and had a, you know, our doctor's great. He's a real jovial type of guy. I must have been a sight to see. His, uh, when he walked in, he took one look at me and said, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> and I told him, well, I stopped taking those medicines. And he says, which one? I said, all of them. You can't do that. <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, I did. You know, and but I was already starting to detox and clean up my body. Mm-hmm. But when I needed knee replacement surgery two and a half years later, they wanted to give me pain meds. And I told the doctor, I'm not taking them. And he goes, Oh, yeah, you're gonna need these. And I ain't taking them. And I just simply refused. And he he said, Well, I'm gonna give you a prescription for it just in case. I said, Fine. He gave me a prescription, I ripped it up and threw it in the trash. And I just dealt with Tylenol and ibuprofen that was it. And that was hell for about a week. You know, that first week was rough, but I just refused to put Mm. that stuff in my body anymore because I knew what it did. I mean, you know, uh, being lethargic and and tired all the time, gaining weight and that stuff would cause you to, I, once I stopped taking them, I lost like 70 pounds. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just terrible, but I guess I was aware of what they were doing to me. You know, and and that was the motivation finally just for me to stop. And mm-hmm. and you know, again, it was all legal. I wasn't taking them, you know, outside of the prescriptions that were being written, but I also had my faith to fall back on. And I mean, I prayed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that first week I prayed, I stood on all the scriptures I could think of all night long. Until I'd be so exhausted, I might fall asleep for 10 or 15 minutes. That was it. But what about those who don't have their faith to rely on? Okay. That's what got me through the withdrawals and stuff. What can we as a society do differently other than lock them up in order to build stronger families, safer communities, thriving citizens? 
what can we do? What needs to be in place? So this is where I would love to see faith communities really lean into this space of how do we become places where people um, find deep connection and meaning and belonging and a true family in the body of Christ. Uh, If we want to prevent addiction from developing, that's what people need to, to thrive. We're, We're, if we're human, we're made with the same needs across the board and all humans need that. Um, for a lot of people, their, their family of origin may not have provided that for them. Uh, and if they cannot access that somewhere else, um, it's very understandable that then drugs become a a replacement for that. Um, when people describe their first interaction with a drug like heroin, it is amazing how many times people will describe it something like it felt like a warm, soft hug. Now, that's not the story that we have been told culturally about people who use heroin. We've been told, you know, they're crazy. They want to feel crazy. They just don't care. Um, what it, What is it? If we can let that sit with us, a warm, soft hug, uh, an intense sense of well-being. Uh, this is what people are after. And how can communities of faith be part of that? How can... Um, you know, employers provide a sense of of meaning and belonging for their employees. How can, um, you know, civic organizations, there's all these different ways that we that we have where we can connect with other people and have true meaningful relationships with people. Um, And that is how we're going to prevent addiction from developing um, and also help people out of addiction once they have it. I interviewed a woman recently uh, for my book that I'm working on. And, you know, one of the comments she made was, you know, she had been struggling with addictions in and out of addiction for 30 years. And she said, you know, when you, when you go to treatment and you come out, um, there's nobody for you, the people Mm. you were using with, you don't want to go back to that because you know, you're going to start using again, Mm -hmm. but the people who aren't using don't want you because you're not one of them yet that you don't like Mm. them yet. Um, and so there's, there's no place for you. And how are you going to stay sober? when you're lonely and you don't have a community and there's nobody there, that's a support system for you. Um, Or maybe you've burned all the bridges, you know, with your family through years of addiction. Um, And so is this challenging? Absolutely. It's really challenging. Um, It's, it's not easy for people to come out of addiction. It's not easy to be a support community for people coming out of addiction. And yet if that's really what we want, then we, we can't sit on the sidelines and say, well, they should just stop. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for you, uh, the, the part of, if you think about your life as sort of a a glass filled up, um, as you took those opioids out of that glass, there were other things there. Like you said, your faith was there. Your wife was there. Um, you had other things to fill that glass back up for you. Uh, And a lot of people don't. So what we're asking them to do is to say, remove the drugs. Well, what are they left with? If, If they don't have that, people can't survive with emptiness. They need something else. And so we have to be inviting them into something else um, in in a lot of ways before they can stop that substance use, uh, because none of us can survive with that feeling of emptiness. So, so you know, Joanne today is doing great. Um, She went to treatment and uh, has been sober now. I just talked to her yesterday, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and she's been sober for the last five years and she works with people who are trying to get into treatment. She works for a treatment center, um, works for a drug court, helping people who are facing criminal charges, be able to, um, stay sober and work through this program long enough not to have to face those criminal charges. Uh, and I often think, you know, that's not uh, a guaranteed outcome. That doesn't happen that way for a lot of people like Joanne, the other woman I just told you about, um, she had been to treatment eight times. She was arrested eight times. She had been to treatment eight times before finally in her forties, she was able to enter long-term sobriety. Sometimes that's what it looks like. It can be a long road, but Joanne is only raising her son today because she's not sitting in prison. That's we know how it's going to end. If we criminalize it, Mm -hmm. Uh, she's going to go to prison. Her son's going to grow up without her, depending on his family structure. That's going to mean foster care for him or permanent severing of that bond because he would be adopted. Um, You know, we know where that road ends Uh, with the road of offering options for treatment. We have an, we have hope. There's, there's the opportunity for her to get help, to be able to find this thriving life and to be able to help other people find a thriving life that that doesn't always happen that way. Um, But we know the best possible way that it can happen that way is for us to try to provide her a community and provide support for her to maintain that bond with her son. Um, And now he's being raised by that mother who loves him like nobody else. And that is just such an awesome thing to to watch happen over time. Amen. Amen. Christina, this has been so interesting. You and your organization are doing a marvelous work. I, I learned a lot from preparing for this interview as, as well as right now, just talking to you. And I also believe our listeners have learned a lot as well and may now have a, a new perspective on things. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you or your organization, maybe check out your services, ask you to come speak, or maybe just do an interview like this, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with you? Yep. You can go to enditforgood.com. That's E-N-D, enditforgood.com. You can also follow us on social media at enditforgoodms. And I'm also on social media separately at Christina B. Dent. Um, so we kind of do, we use End It For Good social media for different things. I do a lot of, I, I post all my own social media. It's my thoughts, kind of my working through these issues, answering frequently asked questions, Um you know, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking through both both perspectives, the way I used to think, Amen. the way that I think now, and and trying to to build some of those bridges um, as pe- as other people are trying to work through these issues as well, and thinking through are there other are there other alternatives that could get us better outcomes? So come join us over there um, across social media platforms. Um, you can email me at Christina at enditforgood.com. Email me your questions. If you if you've Amen. been listening to this and you've got a burning question or this could never work because of X, shoot me an email. I would love to dialogue about that. That is what we do. That's what I spend my days doing is dialoguing with people about this and inviting them into this conversation. Amen. Amen. I'll put links to all that down in the show notes below. Folks, the war on drugs was a good idea, just implemented in a wrong way. As Christina Dennis shared with us. We fostered an environment that simply intensifies the dependency, intensifies the addictions, intensifies the mindset that it all must be hidden so nobody can see it. You know, we as a nation and communities must change our mindset in order to effectively change the mindset of those who are truly being harmed, you know, those using the drugs themselves. I'm now in agreement with Christina. We need to relook at how we as a nation are trying to deal with this drug problem. We need to offer hope, not condemnation. I don't know what the answer is, but as Christina has so eloquently pointed out, what we're doing now isn't working. 
Go down the show notes and click the link right there to get in touch with Christina Den and her organization, End It For Good. Offer support. Click the donate tab on our website. Send along some love through your financial giving. Matter of fact, there's no amount that's too small. And if every listener right now would just send along 5 or $10 together, it would make a huge, huge difference in how much she's able to help others. Do it right now while you're thinking about it. In fact, I'll put a direct link to her donation page right here in the show notes as well. Just click that link. Send along a love offering today. She didn't ask me to do this. I'm just doing this on my own. Christina, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the program, visit with us, and share about all the great work that you're doing. I do appreciate it so much. Thanks, Robert. It's really been an honor to be here, to be with your listeners. I hope this is just the first of of many great conversations for people listening um, as we continue looking for how can we help people thrive. That's our goal, more people thriving. Amen. Amen. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, For Christina Dent and myself, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.